Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 135, recorded September 7th, 2013. So today we will do our 73rd 90s episode covering Next Generation issues 73 through 75. Yes. Yes. So we DC will Comics. see. Exactly. So we'll see what happens with the Tholian story arc. Yes. How do they get out of that nasty web? Exactly. <laughs> they're, we, we know they're going to get out, but how do they do it this time? What right. tactical prestidigitation will the crew pull off? So I think I might mention this later, but I'll just throw it out there now. So. The Tholians seem to really, really hate the Federation. And we get a little bit of why they're attacking now, but it's also implied that they've always hated them. Um, Always been enemies. Yeah, they just haven't been this uh, violent due to, you know, we'll we'll see why they're fighting. But a few episodes back, we did a original series episode where they went through the rift that the Defiant was lost in in the original Tholian web episode and the Tholians were there and they didn't seem to be that antagonistic in that issue so is this contrary to what was in that issue or were they really bad guys in that one too and they were just letting the Federation do their research to try to find out what happened to the the Defiant good question I don't remember enough details about those issues but I will say that Again, a lot of times, other races will be what they need to be for the story. Right. And Tholian captains will be as irrational and bloodthirsty as they need to be to, to crank up the story. So. Right. And, and we get one in this one, for sure. Yes. He's crazy, man. Crazy. <laughs> All right. Well, you want to get started? Let's do it. And um, good point, Donovan. Hadn't really even thought about that previous uh, storyline. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? I think it was mm-hmm. an annual, or maybe not right. an annual, but it was like a one-shot where Scotty finds out that the scientist was really a Romulan and all that other stuff. Right, was... and they go back to get the ship. Right. And whatever happened to that ship? Well, now we know. In that continuity or in the real continuity? That continuity. Yeah, what does happen to it? I don't remember. Mm. They they pull it out, right? I think they do. Yeah, I thought they As did. As I recall. All right. Are ready? Let's All go. Right, let's do it. So this is issue 73. came out July of 1995. It is entitled War and Madness Part 3, The Dying of Light. Written by Michael Jan Friedman. Penciler Gordon Purcell, inker Terry Pallet. Letterer is Chris Elopius. Colorist is Rick Taylor. And editor is Margaret Clark. So the cover shows Picard looking over his shoulder and straight at the reader. And he gives an exclaimed command, fire, in very bold letters. 
in front of him is a very worried looking data at his station. And then on the view screen, which takes up the majority of the page, we see the crisscrossing lights of a Tholian web. And then we see a Tholian ship heading straight for them. So the actual story starts off with Riker in Picard's ready room apologizing for his failed attempt in the last issue in bringing down one of the Tholian vessels. Picard assures him that he has nothing to worry about. But then Riker admits that he was trying to one-up his dad and that one-upmanship played into his actions, possibly even more than the safety of the ship. Picard tells him that they have more important things to worry about right now. So we flash to Earth, and we see an admiral being given some evidence of some distress call in the Beta Barana system. And the admiral and his aides speculate that the Enterprise might have tried to answer that distress call before it went missing. We flash to Troy's quarters. Troy is roused from her bed by the chime at the door. She answers it and finds Riker's father, Kyle, there. They start to talk about Will Riker's chip on his shoulder since he learned that uh, Kyle was engaged. Kyle says that it's been 30 years since Will's mother has passed away. And is he not entitled to have a life? Their discussion is cut short when Picard calls all senior officers to the bridge. Later on the bridge, the crew is preparing for possible evacuation as the web tightens around the ship. Jordy then has an idea. He thinks that Riker's he thinks that Riker was on the right path last issue. He just needs to find what the new weak point in the Tholian ship is since over the years, they might have just moved the weak spot. After he scans a few times, he thinks he's found it. Now they worry about whether there's enough energy to test it. On the Tholian vessel, the commander is talking about crushing the Federation. His second-in-command voices his concern about the careless killing of innocent lives. He is reprimanded and sent to his quarters for his effort. Back on the Enterprise, the modified version of Riker's plan is put into effect, and it seems to work. One of the vessels is damaged enough that part of the web is brought down. As the Enterprise tries to widen the gap, everyone is surprised when several Klingon vessels decloak. The Klingons attack the already weakened Tholian ships. The Tholians cannot battle the Enterprise and the Klingons, so they sound the retreat and slip away. The commander of the Klingon fleet turns out to be none other than Galron himself. The Grand Chancellor tells Picard that he is there because it is the Federation's fault that the Tholians are attacking the colonies along the border. When Picard asks for clarification on this claim, Galron becomes angry and says that it's the Federation who have started a war with the Tholians and the Klingons are caught in the middle. He just wants to know one thing. Why? to be continued. Damn it, Picard, why? Why would you do that? I think this is a mighty big supposition on Gowron's part. Right. Let's hope they can back it up next issue. You ain't kidding. Now, since we're always the good guys, and you guys are bloodthirsty Klingons, uh, who do you think is more likely to piss off the Tholians? I think you. (laughs) 
So, I'm looking forward to the next issue to find out what he is talking about. Yes. Well, we will. We will indeed. Will um, we? Will, we, we? Yes, we, we will. <laughs> we, we. we will. I like the artwork. Yeah, no, it's good. I think it's got good artwork. Uh, the people look pretty realistic. I like it. I find it an odd time to sleep. I guess, you know, even during crises, some, you need to have some downtime, but just seems like an odd time to just start taking a nap. Well, oh, as we you'll re- may, we as you'll re- dying here in a second. Yeah, exactly. As you'll recall from the previous issue towards the end, when Riker said that statement, you'd better get some sleep because people are going to beat in a path to your door when they find out the situation we're in. And it's like, really? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that part. It's like, that's what you're going to say? You better get some sleep? It's like, ah! No, I, no I, I'd stay awake probably because I don't think I'd be able to sleep. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to sleep. No. But the whole thing was rather odd. So you don't think in the future they'll have pills or something you can take to keep from sleeping? Some renew, you know, some sort of renews your energy without making you have to sleep? I mean, they have it in Judge Dredd. <laughs> well, uh, don't don't they kind of have that now? I mean, uh, stimulants that'll keep you awake, but yeah, I, but you just don't want to do that very long. You're not very alert, though. Oh, okay. I mean, you're alert, but I think it, I think it messes with you after a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, were they amphetamines as opposed to barbiturates? So I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so uh, actually have stimulants that can do that. Perhaps they will. Perhaps they will. But in the end, you eventually have to get your sleep. You must just need it, as we all know. Right. Especially from that next-gen episode, where nobody could sleep. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yes. So I found it odd that Kyle Riker would go talk to Troy. Mm-hmm. And, unless, I mean, in the one episode that Riker... Uh, that Kyle Riker was in. I never, I never got the feeling that that he and Troy knew each other. Right. I mean, they might have known of each other, but by that time, Riker and his dad were already not talking for years and years and years. So, you know, I, when I first saw him show up, I was like, oh, that's cool, because you know, because of Riker and Troy's past, they would know each other. And then I thought, started thinking about him, like, uh, they probably wouldn't really. So then it became weird that they that he was there. Yeah, I agree with that. But they wanted to have Riker, Kyle Riker, talk about the problems. And, and let me just say, this is something I said before we started the recording session. This whole this whole thing with Riker and his father, and this replacement mom, is uninteresting to me. I'm just it doesn't really add to the story. I don't think. And it just really serves as filler for me. I mean, they could remove all that stuff, and the story would be as good. Actually, I probably would like it better, because it wasn't wasting my time as much. Sorry, my, my that's, personal That's opinion. the best part of the story, Ken. <laughs> no, the best part of the story is where they've got Judge Dredd, Sylvester Stallone in a Judge Dredd helmet, uh, as an ad on one of the pages. That's the best part. Really? I'm sorry. I, I, think, I think this whole story is good. It's fine. It's just... Uh, I'm just kidding. Wasn't doing it for you? Not that much. Not that much. But um, 
but that Judge Dredd thing is kind of a cool ad. <laughs> well, the relationship thing did not bother me as much as it obviously bothered you. Yeah, and it just bothers me from the standpoint that I didn't get much out of it. Right. And they devoted a lot of panels to it. True, true. Yeah, it's yeah. I get. I totally get what you're saying. Hundred percent. I yeah, get but, you. Yeah. I. Other than but, that, it's fine. It's fine. It's lovely. Right. Right. So, anyways, I didn't really. I, I mean, at first I liked, and then I didn't really understand why he showed up, and then, um, again, just seems odd timing for everything, and for Riker's main motivation to be, uh, I don't need to replace my mommy. Because <laughs> I, I like how Kyle Riker even points that out. It's been 30 years. Yeah, exactly. He hasn't gotten over the loss of his mom yet. You know, exactly. just like. <laughs> it's about time to move on, I think. Right. Yeah. So. It, it, it doesn't flow naturally. It just it just is forced. Right. Because it right. just doesn't make any sense. I mean, how old is Riker by this point? You know, is he in his 40s by now? Probably. So. And, Lo- yeah. loosen up and he and his dad don't talk they don't like each other they don't I mean they they went years and years and years without talking to each other and then it's been a, you know at least six years since that one episode on Next Generation that his dad showed up in I mean how close could they have gotten all of a sudden you know since then well they haven't right right that's my point so, yeah yeah I mean, and I don't think it's a question of being close to him. It's just a question of supposedly, you know, a 40-something-year-old man doesn't want his mommy replaced. It's like, geez. <laughs> you probably never see her, almost. So, anyway. Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's my point. Yeah. He doesn't talk to his dad, so there's right. no – he's not going to be talking to his stepmom. Right. And I don't see what the big deal is. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. It's forced. doesn't make sense. Agreed. Yeah, all all the challenges that Riker had in Best of Both Worlds, that totally added to the story. He was feeling a little old. He, he was not progressing in his career as quickly as some other people. He has Shelby barking at his heels from a professional standpoint and, like, in his face about it. It's like, and then, you know, he's in the big chair by the end. So all those insecurities bubble up and he overcomes it anyway. I mean, that all added to what made that two-parter what I think is the best story they've ever done in Next Gen. But this, you know, I don't want you to replace my mommy. Doesn't work. Anyway, enough of it. Right, right, right. Moving on. I, I was laughing quite a bit on there, and I just realized I was on mute, so I would like to convey, you know, after the fact that I was laughing at your comments. <laughs> well, I don't know if it, that I was going for humor, but it's good. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Um, Galron showing up at the time, and even after I know why he's really there, seems a little forced. Yes, but the uh, head of the Klingons would show up. Exactly. Completely agreed. Uh, the grand, the grand high chancellor. Is that what his title is? Uh, or, yeah, I couldn't remember. or whatever. Yeah. It's like, geez. And then look at all the medals on his chest. Jeez, on his, on his coat, whatever that is. Right. It's like, could you have a few more? What do you think, Alron? He's he's the big time. I know he's big time, but look at all those what, yellow. I suppose, was that yellow? It's supposed to be gold? I don't know. It's pretty yellow. But gold. he's got like, 
I don't know, like 15 medals on his overcoat lapels or something. Right. right. So I always find it funny that talking to people that even are fans of Star Trek, mm-hmm. that uh, most people forget that how Galron leaves power, how he how he loses his power, um, and that you know Worf is the reason why he stops being the Chancellor. I mean, did do you remember that? I don't remember that. And what? So that must have been hap- that must have happened late in Next Gen, Deep Space Nine. Oh, Deep Space Nine. Uh, I I completely forgot. How does he How does he leave uh, power? Um, Worf kills him. No. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's pretty permanent. And yeah, then I, he becomes. Sorry. Then he becomes Grand Chancellor. But nobody ever remembers that. Even uh, even I think the people who write the novels and stuff sometimes forget that part. But technically, Worf was Grand Chancellor for a little bit. But he didn't want it. No. Then he gave it to Martok. Oh, the old guy with the uh, bad eye. Yep. Right. Okay. Okay, I remember that. So yeah, I just yeah. I think that's funny. So every time I see, you know, Worf and Galron together, I'm like, ooh, I know how that's gonna end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or like, yeah, like the issue we read a, a week or some episodes ago, where Worf pulls Galron's butt out of the fire on that whole thing with the the Dura sisters. Or well, the Dura sisters, yeah, the Dura sisters, and then Worf's brother, right. who was the Shadowheart. Shadowheart, that's it. I, that's what I was trying to remember. Right. Worf totally pulled his butt out of the fire on that one. Car around that is. Mm-hmm. And in the end, I shall kill you. I yep. never liked your eyes. <laughs> They're too buggy. They're too buggy. They're too. Your eyes are too much like Marty Feldman. I'm gonna kill you. I hope he's not that petty. Where's my Batleth? Anyways, what else do you have on this one? Because I'm actually... I didn't really have a lot of comments on this issue. I didn't have that much either. And I think I have already made my point. Still not a big yeah. fan of how the, the the Tholians look like big-headed children. Like toddlers in no. costumes. How the artist, uh, what, Gordon Purcell? How he chose to extrapolate... The Tholians, based on what little we saw of the Tholians, right, uh, in the original Taz episode, um, I, I think it could have been better, but uh, yeah, so I agree with you, uh, but you know, I, I guess it's always going to look weird no matter what they do, um, right? Just because they're kind of like crystalline sort of humanoids, but yep. but yeah, maybe the heads could be a little smaller, yeah, right. Yeah, I do like what they do in Enterprise, and like you said, I like it and I don't like it because, you know, in Enterprise, they turn them into these six-legged, insectoid, you know, very slender, but with the big head kind of thing, because that's all Mm -hmm. you really saw on the episode. Right. And, you know, in one regard, it looks cool, but in the other regard, you're like, eh, that still looks not quite right. You know, something's not clicking. Right. Uh, That was in the the two-parter... Mirror Darkly, if you wanted to watch that. See what they look like. They explode some, a few of them. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting episode. Yeah, A lot of interesting guest appearances. Which we've right. mentioned before. Yeah, we've talked on about the show, that one. But we talk about that one more than any other Enterprise episode. Right. Well, that is one of the more interesting ones. They're all interesting, Ken. 
They're all I don't know that I could say all of them are, but... <laughs> all right, what else It's we got? a good series, but... I got nothing else on that one, so I would like to move on to issue 74. Sounds good. Let's see. If I may. Please. So, War and Madness, Part 4, Ceremony of Innocence. Published date is August 1995. Creative team, I think, is exactly the same. So I will not try to pronounce the letterer's name again. The cover shows Gauron and Picard scowling at each other with the huge, superimposed head of a Tholian looking on. Text states... Spectre, not Spectre, of War. Yes, uh, S-P-E-C-T-R-E. So, they must be Brits or something involved in, in spelling that issue. The issue opens with a full-page drawing of the carnage on Sismas, where a Klingon scientific colony, 100 strong, was wiped out by the Tholians. Garon is in an Enterprise-D conference room showing images of that and two more colonies that were wiped out. He is angry and wants to know from Picard what the Federation has done to provoke such attacks on Federation and Klingon colonies. He assumes the Federation did it since he knows the Klingons did not. Picard and Riker assure him the Federation has not provoked the Tholians. Later, Riker is in ten forward, lost in thought when he is accosted by his father's fiancée. She tries to have a conversation with him, but Riker makes the conversation short, based on the excuse that he has to get back to the bridge. Picard speaks to Admiral Quinn, who assures Picard the Federation has not authorized any attacks on the Tholians. In fact, to the best of his knowledge, no Federation vessel were even close to the sector in question. The Admiral says he has faced that Picard will get to the bottom of what's going on. Later, when Picard tells Garon of the Admiral's assurances, he says someone is lying. Garon reminds Picard of the pro-Romulan forces in the Klingon government. They, and the Duras family, and even others, will all take advantage of these attacks and the outrage from all the Klingon deaths to bring down his government. Picard is under more pressure than ever to find the Tholians and stop their attack. Meanwhile, Starbase 80 has detected approaching ships, Tholian ships. Shields are raised and a distress call sent out. The Enterprise receives the signal and alters course. Warp 6. Riker and his father disagree with who is likely to prevail in the likely coming fight. The Starbase comes under attack. The three Tholian ships are tiny next to the massive starbase, but the starbase is a stationary target, and the Tholians are highly maneuverable. The attack eventually brings down the station's shields. Just when the Tholian attacks look like it will really start to cause damage to the starbase, the Enterprise arrives. The three Tholian ships halt their space station attack and swarm on the Enterprise. The Enterprise returns fire. The Tholians recognize the Enterprise as the ship that escaped their trap earlier and dealt them some damage. The Tholian commander says, this time they will show that ship no mercy, as if their prior plan to crush the ship and the crew like an eggshell was merciful. Ha! The Tholian commander says, they have shifted the blind spot in the ship's sensor array. It will be highly unlikely that the Federation captain will be able to capitalize on that same weakness again. They start to spin their web around the Enterprise. 
Picard orders the Picard Omicron pattern. They concentrate fire on the lead ship and are able to get past its shields and deal some heavy damage. Picard orders careful targets. He does not want to get in an unlucky shot and blow them up. He wants answers, not Tholian deaths. First Officer Nethrax makes his way to the bridge and finds wreckage. Many are dead, and the captain is seriously wounded and unconscious. Nethrax takes over command and accepts Picard's hail for parley. Nethrax says he will not surrender, and any attempts to board them will result in self-destruction of their ship. Picard says he has no interest in boarding them, but rather wants to know why they have been attacking Federation colonies. Nethrax says Picard knows why. Bloody attacks on Tholian colonies could result in no other response. Picard now knows that Gauron was correct. Someone is engineering this little war by playing the Federation and Tholians off each other. Later, Nethrax is on the Enterprise, showing Picard and company recordings of Klingon attacks on Narqual. The ship of Klingon design is clearly attacking the colony. The Tholians have been attacking Federation as well as Klingon colonies in response due to the Klingon-Federation alliance. Picard asks Worf to contact Gauron and show him the recordings of this attack. Later, Picard is speaking to Gauron, who confirms the ship is the Taj, and it's been missing for weeks. Gauron gives Picard its last known coordinates in case they have better luck finding it than the Klingons have. Picard says the coordinates are very close to a planet where Picard had left a group of renegade Borg led by a Borg named Yu. Gauron asks for details, and Picard gives them to him. A year ago, Yu was found and taken in by Picard. He was reminded of his individuality and began a new life as an independent entity apart from the Borg Collective. A separate set of Borgs led by Data's brother, Lore, was up to mischief under Lore's direction. When Lore was defeated, Yu and the other Borg were given a planet to settle on by the Federation. Picard finds it hard to believe that Yu and his Borg could be mixed up with this, but the proximity to their planet makes it a distinct possibility. Picard tells Gauron there is only one way to find out. He will track down the Taj and find out who is piloting her. Gauron points out that search may take them into Tholian territory. Picard says if that is where the search leads, then that is where he shall go. To be continued. Wow. Riveting stuff. Riveting. <laughs> yes. Into Tholian space. Could be uncomfortable. Enterprise could be a big old target if he did that. Right. What will they do? What will they do? Exactly. You know, I, I appreciated that they're bringing in Q and that whole storyline from Descent Part 1 and 2, The Next Generation, but I, I don't know if they're doing it the, I don't think they're doing it justice. Does that, does that make sense? I really like those stories. I really right. like the idea of uh, a Borg group being, you know, individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, but still working then, together. Right. But then to turn them into, you know, what we'll see in the next issue, you know, the potential 
villain of the week kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I didn't really. I don't really care for this part. Oh well, I mean they are a Borg after all. They're, I mean they're one of the greatest enemies, enemy fodder in the Star Trek uh, universe. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean you like you. Yeah, you I like a, you. you. You was a good guy, but there are a lot of Borg there and. They were following Lore with no problems, so... That's true. Because Lore was giving them emotions, right? Or he was feeding them something that... He, he was tricking them. Lore he was w- tricking them. Yeah, he was tricking them, but he was also giving them purpose. Is that what it was? Evil purpose, but yes. Well, yeah. I don't remember all the details. So that yeah. was... Dis- was that Descent? Yeah, Descent, Part 1 and 2, yeah. Right. I don't remember all the details, but I think he was definitely giving them purpose. Uh, which is oh. something they didn't have. Yeah, I was thinking that he was using his emotion chip to feed them emotions, emotions. and that's ca- kind of what Data was g- getting hit up on, too. Yeah. Because when Data was fighting them, he was getting emotions. Right. And then, I don't know, it's been a long time. I, I, I watched the show, obviously, and then I even read the novelization of that by... Uh, J.M. Dillard, I believe she wrote the novelization. So it's one of the few actual novelizations I read because I, I like the story so much. Wow. But uh, it's been 20-something years and I have forgotten it. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you remember uh, more of that bit than I do. Or right. I did. So, uh, yeah. So whatever they're doing. So this is the next... I think it's interesting seeing the next chapter in that little subgroup of Borg. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I but, love that part. But I just don't like turning them into... How they're being used. Right. Well, let's talk about it more next issue. Let's do, when we really find out the details of what's right. going on. So, so I like I like some of the shield flaring around the starbase when the uh, orange Tholian weapons hit it. I kind of like that. It looks kind of cool, the drawings. So that's on that page 11 and 12? I believe so. I don't know the exact pages. I didn't right. write down the pages, but yeah. I like that. Yeah, looks good. Yeah. So... What did you think of the the captain and the chief engineer or whatever she was there on on the station? I thought the receding hairline of the of the Vulcan commander was a bit uh, distracting. <laughs> so he has a receding hairline and he's basically doing the Vulcan comb over so that <laughs> exactly the Vulcan comb over still look like he has some sort of bangs. Yeah, either exactly. They're coming from way up on top of his head. Exactly. He kind of looks like, a, oh, I don't know, a Vulcan Don Rickles or something. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> And as far as the lady officer, you know, that's great. Thanks for letting me know that you've got your whole family on the Starbase. But I, <laughs> you know, I don't know that I need to know that. But I, okay, that's fine. I, I, I guess it it makes it more of a, oh, there's, just remind you that there's, 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 Women and children, innocence on the right. starbase. So we don't want anything to happen to it. Yeah, it just seemed weird that they're on page eight. I mean, half of the page is taken up by this this woman working on a transporter pad, mm-hmm. and I spent a lot of time on it because I'm like, obviously this is a big reveal. This is somebody I should know, and I'm like playing through older episodes of the Next Generation. Like, okay, was she in? Was she in an episode? You know, and. and no, I can't. I can't figure out where where she came from. I just think that the artist was like, stick a some you know attractive woman here on the pad mm-hmm. and fill up a whole half a page with her talking yeah. about how she's worried about her two kids and husband. 
Right. Yeah. This seemed weird. It seemed fillerish, but usually they do that kind of stuff. Like, it's Galron, it's Lore, you know, something that yeah. that you know really drive it home that this is somebody you should know. But this lady, I could not figure out who she was. Yeah. And what about Commander Selak? He's got a fair. I don't remember the uh, the Vulcan comb over before, but I mean, there's enough detail to his face. He looks like maybe he might have been somebody we've seen before, also. Although I do not remember him. Right, and it's odd that he has. You know, I don't want to be racist or specious or whatever it would be, but he has light colored hair for a Vulcan. So Vulcans are always depicted as oh, very dark haired, and he has like brownish, brown. brownish hair. Yeah, like a medium brown color. Right. right. So, he's just, you know, all over the place. First with the <laughs> comb over, and then with the uh, <laughs> different colored hair. Well, Commander Silak, he marches to his own beat. Just thought that was weird. Right. And it, they do, they, they don't, they live, right? Oh, yeah, the whole starbase lives. Yeah, I thought so. Because they got there in time. Right. The, the Enterprise. It's the old, another ship's, a ship's coming in. It's the Enterprise, you know. Right. Just like many other times. It's the Enterprise to save us, yay! (laughs) Yeah, so I thought I had problems counting when I read the title page, the opening page of this one. Because it does say very clearly this is part three, Mm -hmm. Ceremony of Innocence. Right. And it's actually part four. Is it? It is. Yeah, so if you look at issue 73, that is part three. So. Oh, yeah, you're right. So they kind of doubled up on that. You know, when I was reading it, reading this one, I thought the same thing. But then I was like, okay, no, because we only did one episode of this storyline last week, or last time we did Next Gen. And 73 would have been part two, and this would have been part three. But no, you're right, because we did two issues of this last week, and then we're doing three issues of it this week. Right. So it was really... Are you sure? Maybe maybe 73 is the one that's wrong. Hold on, let's look. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody, go for coffee for a minute. We'll be right back. So 70 was the conclusion of the giant robot and... The, the giant b- robot. <laughs> yeah, and of course, this wasn't last week. It was a few weeks ago. But. A few weeks ago. Yeah. Episode yes. 30, 135? Sure. Yeah, so 72, 71 was part one, and 72 was part two. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Nope, you're right. Yeah. So that means that the next issue is also wrong, because it says part four. No. I thought the, I thought uh, 75 was correct. Really? Okay. It said part four. Let me look again. Uh, War and Madness. Well, it doesn't say. No, actually, it does say five. War, War Madness. Madness, part five. Cry uh, Havoc. Yep, you're right. So it's just this one. Okay, so it's for that uh, issue seventy-four, which is four, but says it's three. So very good catch. But they're Roman numeral kind of things, so maybe they, you know, okay, you know, a little bit off with the uh, Roman numeral stuffs, I guess. <laughs> Nobody noticed. Nobody will notice. Uh, or yeah, or they didn't notice. Made it right. past the editors, proofreaders. Good, good catch. Yes. Yes. Right. So um, I want to know why is Garon uh, like kind of sitting back saying, "Okay, Picard, you take this one. We're just gonna, just gonna hang out back here," even though clearly 
the Klingons, uh, it's a Klingon ship that's being used. So they are at least as responsible for getting to the bottom of this as Picard is in the Federation. Uh, so Maybe because he knows that if they go in, they'll be going in guns blazing, and, and he, being a level-minded Klingon, can uh, allow Picard to try to do it <laughs> diplomatic. Uh, oh, I see. Because because uh, Gauron figures he can't he and his people can't be diplomatic, exactly. right? Or maybe he's thinking, uh, you know, hey, you're there anyway, Picard, right? Why don't you take this one, and I'm just going to be over here having a coke. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Blood wine, blood wine, blood wine. Sorry, blood wine. <laughs> carbonated, <laughs> carbonated blood wine. There okay. you go. So, yeah, I just thought it was kind of uh, handy. Right. Good point. Uh, of course, uh, if you was involved, then Picard would be the better one to deal with these rogue um, Borg, you know, from a talking standpoint than Klingons would, but still. Right. Right. Again, again, uh, Gauron is perfectly fine with using other people to do his dirty work while he hangs back. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, don't, I still don't understand why he's there. Why couldn't he send somebody else? Uh, or, or that. Fine. Send one of your many minions to, uh, you know, help right. Picard out. It's and your why, butt on the line, too. And why is he trying to hit on Picard? Uh, what do you mean by that? <laughs> uh, what's the page number? 22? <laughs> You're <laughs> kidding me. Okay, I gotta see this. Yeah, on, on page 22, when he actually says, perhaps you'll have more luck than we did. He's winking. He's like, wink. <laughs> a little gleam in his eye. No, not a gleam. It's a wink. One eyelid is shut, one eyelid is open. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Perhaps you, wink, will have more luck than we did. Yeah, and it's pretty obvious, too. Yeah, that I don't is know. odd. That, that obviously wasn't intended. It was not intended? It. I mean, we, so the artist did that, yes, but it's like, what could possibly the meaning of that been? I mean, it almost looks like Gauron has some battle damage or something. Like he had his eye gouged out in some kind of big fight. Right. But we, of course, we know that's not the case, so... Yeah, I, I would have... Good point, I, I am confused. I would have liked it better if that picture was when he first found out that it was the Taj, and he's like, oh... You know, that that kind of face that the... Oh, uh, it looks like it was my fault. Yeah, Damn. it is my fault all along. Oh, my, my bad. I hate I'm not, when that happens. Yeah, like when he's saying, I find myself in the unusual situation of having to apologize. That would have been an appropriate face for that, you know, because he's kind of grimacing. Caught, caught with his pants down kind of thing. But Right. <laughs> but when he's just like, ah, you'll have better luck than me, that just seems weird. Yeah, that is weird. But I really don't think he's hitting on Picard. Oh, I don't either. That was a joke. <laughs> that was for a joke. For anybody still listening, I was trying to give him a little something to giggle at. Ah, okay. Good, 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 good. Good point. Yeah. So the last things I want to say is, again, I said this before, I'll say it again. I like the artwork. It's very good. It's mm -hmm. realistic enough. The people look good. They, they they look like the actors. There's nothing I find more annoying when the artist goes traipsing off into artsy-fartsy land and uh, and does some overly artistic interpretation 
of the characters and the ships and stuff, and I just find that very distracting from the story if when things are overly stylized. This artwork is great. Right. No, this is good. Yes. Yeah, and I even like, you know, the detail they give the Borg, because to me, sometimes the original Borg design looks kind of, you know, because they were... They were made fairly cheaply, so sometimes when you look at still pictures, they look kind of cheap. Mm-hmm. But uh, here, when they had that little flashback, even the Borg looked menacing like they're supposed to. Right. You know, so... No, I agree with you 100%. I really I really enjoy the artwork. Yeah. So Gordon Purcell, damn good job. And Terry Pallet. Right. Yeah, and the throw-in, then... the, the throw you know, comb-overs that we don't normally see. Again, <laughs> kudos to you. <laughs> Shake it up a little bit. <laughs> there you go. You don't want to get the people visually bored. Uh, and then the last thing I got to say again, the replacement mom's storyline, again, is useless to this story. You loved it. Ah, uh, and that's the last thing I have to say about this issue. All right, sounds good. I don't have anything else. Moving on. Moving right along. So let me see if the writing staff switched up on us. It is. I think everybody's the same. Yep, everybody's the same. All right, so 75, which came out September of 1995, is entitled War and Madness Part 5, Cry Havoc. So the cover is really nice, very colorful, and uh, looks good. So the lower half and kind of in the foreground... Uh, we see Riker with his arms crossed, and he's kind of looking over to the right side of the page. And then around him and behind him, we see that there's a Tholian web being uh, constructed around him, and we see like a uh, a single Tholian ship flying by. Then the upper part of the page, um, most of that's depicted with the face of a Borg. Maybe Hugh, maybe not, just just a, a Next Generation TV series version of the Borg just his face, and where his eye socket is, we see a light being emitted from it. And the light then somehow becomes a um, tractor beam, and the tractor beam is then uh, surrounding a Klingon vessel. So it's, uh, it looks like a movie poster. You know, The movie posters don't always make sense, and it, it looks really good. So the story starts off with Data and Geordi trying to work out where the rogue Klingon ship might attack next. They speculate that the colonies that have been attacked so far all had high numbers of Tholian scientists. And after some thinking and calculating, they think they might have pinpointed the next colony to be attacked. Later in the briefing room, Riker and Picard are discussing to the Tholian subcommander, Nethrax, their plan to enter Tholian space and try to capture the Klingon ship. Netherax is hesitant and says that most of his crew will not go for it. The plan is then to leave the majority of the Tholian crew there on the Enterprise, including the injured and unconscious Tholian commander, who would never dream about uh, going along with his plan. So the crew on the ship will then be supplemented by some of the Enterprise's crew, including LaForge, Data, Will Riker, and Kyle Riker. Uh, Nethrax agrees to this plan, since it will stop a potential all-out war. After they leave in the Tholian vessel, the Tholian commander 
wakes there in sick bay and he does not understand why he's on the enterprise and he starts going berserk and attacks everybody there in sick bay he is captured again by Worf and his men but he does not believe that his sub commander would really go along with this plan as the remaining tholians are being uh, marched to their quarters the commander breaks loose again, and this time he takes Kyle's fiancée, Brenda, I think her name is? Barb, uh, yeah, Brenda. He takes her hostage. And he threatens to kill her unless his ship is brought to him as soon as possible. Meanwhile, back in Tholian space, the ship is approaching a border patrol. Riker thinks that the Tholians have ratted them out and that this is some sort of trap. The sub-commander assures him that this is just normal procedure for any ship entering Tholian space. Riker relents, and the sub-commander talks to the patrol, and then they are allowed to continue on their course. Riker has to admit that he was wrong. Again. Meanwhile, on the Klingon vessel, a large Borg, dressed as Bane from the original DC Comics, is now in command. Not Hugh. He is much larger than the traditional TV series era Borg, and he also wears a mask that covers up both of his eyes, and it makes him look like a very large Mexican wrestler. Uh, I think they're called lupadors, but I might be wrong on that. And then with the tubes trailing from the back of his head, it really looks like uh, Bane from, from those original DC Comics Batman stories. Anyways, he has been trying to recreate a hive mind that the Tholians used to possess. Um, so they're going to these colonies, capturing as many Tholian scientists as they can, and they're trying to reconnect them so that they, the uh, ostracized Borg, can then benefit from a hive mind as well. Uh, they're never able to succeed in this, and the tension is growing within the ranks that cause Inab, who, which is the name of the Bane-like character, to have to smack a few of his drones around to get them back in line. The Tholian vessel eventually meets up with the Klingon ship. Inab refuses to back down, and a fight ensues. The Tholian vessel is damaged and tries to retreat. Riker notices that the Klingon ship has been outfitted with a trans-warp drive. He orders the Tholians to attack the navigation deflector. They do so, and the Klingon ship is quickly completely powerless. On the Enterprise, the Tholian commander is overpowered by Worf, and the hostage is able to run away, though she is injured. Later, on the bridge, Picard is informed of an incoming Tholian ship. He is very pleased when it opens up communications, and it's revealed to be Riker. Shortly after that, the captured Klingon ship then shimmers out of cloak. Riker tells everyone about the rogue faction of the Borg that captured this Klingon ship by causing the crew to get severe radiation poisoning near the planet that they were at. Then they just beamed over and jettisoned the dead Klingon bodies and went on their mission to try to recreate this hive mind. The Tholian commander sees that he was not lied to about the fate of his ship. And he's actually pleased that the sub-commander was able to take the lead and prevent a full-out war. Kind of a switch of character there. So 
Brenda, who again is Kyle's fiance, breaks up with him. She claims that she cannot handle the danger that his job would bring since she has been a hostage for most of this issue. Later, she tells Troy that the real reason why she broke up with him is because she does not want to get in between Will and his father. Later, Picard arrives at Hugh's planet and tells him about Anob's fate. Those Borg are facing justice at the hands of the Tholians. Later, Will pays a visit to the woman who was almost his stepmother. He finds out the real reason why she broke it off with Kyle and assures her that she will never be the reason why there's any friction between him and his father. She is pleased, and it looks like she will be his mommy after all. The closing scene shows Will and his father sharing a drink there in Ten Forward. Riker makes his father a promise that he and Brenda will live happily together forever. Kyle says that he will drink to that. The end. Ah, isn't that nice? So Riker's getting a new mommy. Congratulations, Will. After all this time. And she turns out to be a cool chick. Come on. Yawn. Don't care. <laughs> so what do you think happens to uh, Kyle and Brenda from this issue to the beginning of Star Trek Nemesis? Because they're not at the wedding. Yeah. So, I need to know what happened to them. Did they it's die? It's a big galaxy. Maybe they oh. couldn't make it. You think? Maybe maybe they missed their connecting transport at Rigel. You never know. <laughs> maybe they wanted to be there, but you know spaceship schedules. Right. Maybe they were going to go to the second ceremony there on Beta Z. Ah, could be. Could be. <laughs> Good question. You always come out of left field with these uh, suppositions, these wow. uh, these questions that uh, delve deeply into the web that is the Star Trek universe. Well, they're the questions that any card-carrying member of the Star Trek fan club would ask. Apparently, I don't have a card. Oh, I can print you out one. Because that <laughs> never occurred to me to ask that question. But yes, very good. Very good, Donovan. Anyways, uh, uh, that storyline didn't bother me as much as it, it did you, obviously. Did it really add anything to the story? No. I mean, did did Kyle Riker even being in the story at all add anything to the story? No. Because, I mean, even when he's on the ship with the, the Tholians, he doesn't really do anything. Kyle Riker, that is. Yeah. Just kind of stands back there and watches Will make guess after guess and accusing them of betraying them. I mean, it's just... Right. He's just there. Now, now, mind you, he is pointing out that the Tholian sense of honor is going to mean that the first officer is going to do what he says he's going to do. Right. So he is correctly pointing out what that first officer is going to do, because we know he's a pretty cool guy, but we right. know more than Will knows. So he is doing that, but right, in the end, it doesn't matter, because you're going to have to trust him anyway. I mean, what are you going to do, try to take over the ship? It's that's not that's not an option, you know, from the Tholians because you don't right. trust trust right. them. That's not going to make sense. So um, yeah, it was. So even there was unnecessary filler. Agreed. But so <laughs> it turns out the whole thing was just a silly misunderstanding caused by some evil Borg, or at least an evil Borg leader. Right. That that happens to look like. 
the monarch from Venture Brothers. So I thought it was fascinating how you thought he, A, looked like Bane. uh, Looks exactly like Bane. uh, And B, or B, he looks like a Mexican wrestler. And I propose C, he looks like one of, uh, he looks kind of like the monarch from from Venture Brothers, especially the way the uh, the eye things are drawn on his the only almost Spider-Man like eye things are drawn on his uh, right. Mexican Spanish wrestler coverall headpiece. Right. So, are you familiar? I mean, did you ever read any of the original Batman Bane comics, or are no. you only familiar with him from Dark Knight Rises? Oh, I never read the Bane ones, but I have seen multiple drawings of Bane from the comics. So right. I am not I'm not just familiar with him from the movie, right. but I have seen some drawings of Bane. Also familiar with him from the Arkham Asylum video game. You know, the one where he's all right. pumped up stupidly. Right. Uh, so, anyway. but but you don't think like this this Inab guy looks exactly like, like Bane? I, that did not even cross my mind. I mean, even with the, you know, over-exaggerated muscles and the the Mexican wrestler mask, because I mean that's why <laughs> Bane wears it, right? He he, that's a intentional look. But then he also has the wires coming out of his head and the you know gizmos on his back, which could be the you know the pumps that pump the venom into to Bane. I I, I was like that can't be. Yeah, I mean, he has bits and bobs that look like potential extrapolations from a normal Borg look, but they are completely unique. Completely unique. Uh, it, they never, it never said Bane to me, but you are more of a comic book aficionado than I am. So, right. I will not say that he, that he doesn't look like Bane, because now that you mention it, yes, but yeah, he also right. looks like the Monarch a bit. But without uh, the wings. I'll have to look up the Monarch. Yes, interesting look. A very unique look for a Borg. And in the end, I was expecting more out of this guy. Because he's definitely pumped up as a really nasty guy and stuff. Right. But really, in the end, he ends up being, eh. I mean, obviously, they're able to overcome him pretty easily. The Monarch looks like a f- butterfly. <laughs> look at the head stuff. He looks like that. Yes. Uh... Are we going to go back to that now? <laughs> no, it just came up. Are we moving on? He just looks like a butterfly. But we'll. All right, but I see the henchman. Yes. All right, let's go. Uh, yeah, he did not do much except smack that one guy around there on page uh, 24. Or no, right. uh, 23. Right. And so after the Tholian first officer and Reich and Data and everybody else is able to snatch space battle victory from the jaws of defeat. They apparently were able to board the Klingon ship pretty easily and get the uh, the Klingons on board whipped into submission. The the Borg on board. Yeah, that's, I didn't say Borg. You said Klingons. Mm, I said Klingon ship. Uh, well, I intended to say the Klingon ship and beat into submission the Borg on board. Right. Uh, if I said Klingons a second time, that was unintentional. All right. Yes, I agree. Yeah, so, I thought that was a little anticlimactic that it just anticlimactic, they, they expeditious. It's like you drag out the story. Sorry, you, you, they kind of drag out the story 
with all this other stuff that doesn't matter to the main storyline, yet at the end they just go, oh, okay, we got to rush here. Yeah, don't worry about. It. They just they just get on board and they they beat him into submission. Okay. <laughs> they just seemed a bit rushed there. Uh, I agree 100. Uh, percent And I, I would it... have liked to. Yeah, I really would have liked to seen that big dude take on Data or something. You know, because yeah, because exactly. I mean he's heads and shoulders taller than every other Borg, and, you know, he looks like Bane with the giant muscles. You want to see him do something, you know, aside right. from just scheming over a, you know, a, a dead body or whatever. Yeah, you know. or beat or beating up on his own people. Hey, he only smacks him once. That's not much. I want more. More carnage. Yeah. yeah. I will say one thing I, I did not notice in the other issues, but definitely noticed here, is the differences in the look of some of the Tholians. So, for example, on page 25, where they're aboard the Tholian ship, and looking at distinct difference between the, what appears to be like maybe the pilot and the first officer, their faces are actually quite different. That they have kind a of different, different point? Like, are they're, they're... Well, yeah, okay, so the pilot guy, his mm-hmm. face, where his mouth might be on a human, is mm-hmm. elongated quite a bit compared to the Tholian first officer. So I appreciate that they bothered to put some variety in some of the Tholian individuals and how they dream. Right. Yeah, I didn't notice that, but yeah, you're right. And he also seems to have some kind of little pyramids on his shoulders, the other Tholian pilot or whatever he is, which I don't see on the first officer. Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder, I mean, these, yeah, I see the pyramid now. Just pokes right out there, don't it? Yeah, and it looks like it's exactly the same angle as the pyramid sticking out of a a wall console (laughs) or something right behind him. So it's kind of interesting. Right. Yeah, so it made me wonder how much movement they can really have if they're made out of crystal. I mean, can... In their arms, you know, obviously their arms are moving, but how, do, how do, does that actually work? You know, does, <laughs> does the crystal move into it to the surrounding crystal, or I mean, it kind of I brings up the whole, you know, like we saw crystal monsters in some of the old gold key stuff, and mm-hmm. you kind of wondered then too, like how would a crystal person really work? Exactly, because <laughs> we're just really used to crystal being crystal, not right. Uh, you know something that could work as a as a ligament or tissue that could could keep together parts right. and and joints and stuff. Yeah, who knows? And their eyes don't think too much. And their eyes change shape depending on their emotion and stuff. So it's so their eyes are actually moving, and I and I get more. The, it's not just the light within the light. It's not just the light within the crystal that it's actually changing shape as you know as someone's eyes would as they're surprised or in pain or angry so so nice detail yeah yeah so still not sure how it all work in reality but this isn't reality so you're right just go with it it's not reality it's the future it's the future a possible future so how do you like the 15 jillionth take on a federation environmental suit that they use in this issue. Uh, this one is very weird. <laughs> is it? I like the helmet. So that the helmets are pretty cool and asymmetrical. But what's with the multicolored shoulder over the head thing they got going? Yeah, the big triangle thing that uh, 
that goes over their shoulder? Yeah, I have no idea. It's yeah, very cool. right. So my two my two points are number one. Why does every artist feel compelled to come up with a new spacesuit? Because they certainly seem to be. Because every issue pretty much has a different spacesuit. And number two, I think in this case, at least that shoulder thing is like over the top. I mean, it looks like it has no function. But right. Although I do like the helmet. The helmet looks like like they had they were underwater a few months ago, maybe right. even longer than that. And right. I remember the helmets kind of looking like that. I'd have to go back and look, but where it had two Starfleet logos on it, one on the chin and one on the the forehead. Right. So I don't know if this looks exactly like that, but it so they might have recycled me of that issue. one. Yeah, they might have recycled that design. <clears throat> cool. But that whole triangle thing, it it just looks really weird. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, are you on page twenty-seven? I can get to twenty-seven. So on Quite page twenty. When, on page 27, when they're attacked by the um, Klingons, because mm-hmm. the, the whole Tholian web thing doesn't work, because the Borg have already found a way to counteract it. Mm-hmm. Um, look at the top page where it shows Riker kind of jumping, and he says, the helm! It, it looks like, you know, it looks like he's wearing a superhero spandex uniform, and that that red thing, the red triangle thing, is like a little tiny cape. <laughs> coming off his shoulders. Right. He looks Doesn't a little it? a little superhero like is you what you're saying? Right. But that yeah. that the red thing actually looks like a little a little tiny cape that goes about halfway down his back. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they designed that whole thing just for this panel. Uh, maybe. But I do like how the phasers I mean at least they bothered showing the phaser there integrated into Riker's uniform. Although that is kind of interesting how the holder, holster of the phaser seems to come out of the environmental suit, like right. part of it. Yeah, instead of just being attached to that giant belt. <laughs> right. And then that whole thing around the thigh. It looks like a, a second bat utility belt going around one thigh of the environmental suit. Interesting. Oh, right, right, right. Very asymmetrical. And the whole putting the pips or some sort of representation of the pips on the rank. The, uh, yeah, the rank on right. the, the triangle thing reminded me of back in the Pablo Marcus days when mm-hmm. every time they wore a uniform or something other than their uniform it would still have the pips on there somewhere. Right. Which I never saw on the show. I mean, the only time they had pips on was dress uniform or regular uniform. Right. If they wore normal clothes or some sort of spacesuit, it didn't have pips, but... right. Because you'd want something to be you know, like a general spacesuit, not right. one that's made specifically for the captain or some crewman. Exactly. But uh, I thought it was odd that they brought that look back. Right. And that the colors matched up with whatever their uh, their command the color or of the their area. Right. 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 Exactly. So Riker's got the red, and Geordi has the the gold. Right. And give them props for not putting data in one. Yes. Yes. Data does not need it, so I do like that. Yep. So I thought that was quite a 180, how the Tholian commander mm-hmm. went from being Mr. Poophead to being Mr. Hey, good job, First Officer. You can do this as long as you want. You know. Right. I thought that was quite an about-face. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. You weren't lying to me? You stopped a war? Oh, you're the best. Gosh, and I guess I was wrong. 
these Federation guys aren't that bad after all. Even though I try to take over the ship and kill Riker's mom. <laughs> Replacement mom. So that brings me to my biggest beef with this, this comic. Inab, mm-hmm. uh, the rogue Borg. Right. He Bane. is sent... Yeah, Bane. He's sent to prison or whatever. Tholian justice, whatever that means. Right. So he's did some bad things. He's being sent to face justice. This Tholian commander did just as bad of things, if not worse, than what Inab was doing. And he's just going to get to go off, no ramifications. Yeah. That doesn't seem right. There should have been some justice for the Tholians. Even though the Tholians did have reason to do what they did, they did it in a mighty bloodthirsty way. Right, exactly. Okay, my bad. I'll go back home. You know, that just, that really rubs me the wrong way. Especially... Galron was so upset earlier. Picard was upset. Right. All these people are dying. Meh. It's okay. You misunderstood. <laughs> we, we didn't like those people on those planets anyways. It just <laughs> Yeah. They were just valuable scientists that had been wiped off the face of the Earth, but that's fine. Yeah. I really did not like that part. And my last comment, in that two-parter descent, they had the trans-warp, because I thought they were going far away to go to this planet where Lore had created this little conclave of Borg and I thought that the planet that they got was equally far away and that's why you needed the transwarp to get to and from there Hmm. so I don't understand how this Klingon ship just happened to stumble across it and then get you know radiated and died and replaced with the Borg I really have a hard time buying that part Right. Yeah. Really didn't think about that much. But, yeah, it's quite a quinky-dink that the planet that they were given by the Federation, right? Given by the mm-hmm. Federation. Right. Happens to be that close to the Tholian border. And obviously the Klingon border, I guess. Exactly. So, again, this is like four corners of the galaxy kind of thing where the corners of these different geopolitical entities all come together. Right. And why did Inab modify that Klingon bird of prey with the trans warp when obviously the trans the Klingon bird of prey made it to that planet without any type of trans warp? So you would think that they're it makes you feel like they're not really that <coughs> far away to need a trans warp drive except for we need a convenient way to knock out your ship later. Well, that and also they did say that in the attacks, the Tholian attacks the, when they were attacking the Tholian uh, colonies, mm-hmm. that they were able to use the transwarp to get away from their attacks quickly so that they couldn't get caught. Oh, so they could bypass the web? Okay. Bypass the web. Um, the Tholian webs. Oh, right, if if it ever came that close. You right. Know, if they ever got that close to catching them. Okay. But I, And I don't know that they went into that level of detail, but I think the knob or somebody actually said the transwarp allowed us to get away and never get caught. All right, that makes sense. Okay. All right, I'll give them that then. I'll... <laughs> but that's about it, yeah. It, but it, it seems, to, yeah, it it, seem it seems like, like it was... the distances involved are not that great. Right, and it seemed like it was just there so that Riker would be able to save the day and know how to knock out the whole ship. Right. With one shot. Yes, very handy, isn't it? Especially it as their Tholian ship is 
almost dead in the water. Right. Anyway. Exactly. All right, that was my last comment, and you know, I guess just throw it out there that that last page where Picard goes and talks to Hugh in person seemed unnecessary, except unnecessary, for yeah. to give Hugh some FaceTime. <clears throat> right. And also just to reinforce the idea that little colony, even though they had a little splinter group, that U-led colony is still uh, intact, still proving that Picard and the Federation's idea of letting them have a planet was the right one. Right. All right. But, I mean, I I didn't think it was absolutely necessary either, but... (laughs) So, anyways. Yeah, and I've got... I've said all the things I have about it, so... Oh, okay. Completion of a five-issue story arc. Yeah. And everybody's happy except for all the dead people on the colonies. And those people's families. Uh, on the colonies? Or what do you mean? Well, you would think that they'd have families on Earth or Kronos, and they're like, Oh, right. I want justice. Yeah, well, <laughs> forget about it. You're not going to get it. Because we don't want to have a Tholian war. Which, of course, I guess that might be the other reason they're not going to try to press charges or something. I don't know, but... Right. Alright, so next week we'll be back with episode 139, which is going to be Deep Space Nine issues 25 through 27. So. Okay. Get back to the station. Yep. And we're only, uh, you know, you know this, this episode will come out in October. And just to kind of throw it out there, we are planning on doing a Doctor Who specials in November to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who this year. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be covering the big Doctor Who nice Next job. Generation crossover. Yes, and big it is. And that was an eight-parter, so yeah, uh, it'll take up pretty much the whole month of November. And there was a little Taz crossover there, too. I still haven't read them. I, I'm, I'm waiting. So you get a lot of tastes of uh, multiple crossovers, which is nice. Right. So, I'm looking forward to it. Yes. Me too. Alright. Well, that uh, concludes the episode. Hopefully, everybody enjoyed it. And we'll see you guys next week. See you next time on The Review. Later, everybody. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.